Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Jeff Valley. Jeff Valley is a photographer based in New York City. He has worked with clients such as Nike, Sony, Budweiser, and Airbnb, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Jeff about how he got into photography, um, some of his early jobs, um, how he kind of deals with uh, advertising campaigns and working on bigger productions. And I also speak to him about some of his uh, personal travels. Um, He rode his bike across the United States of America, uh, climbed up El Capitan. Um, Lots of cool, interesting stuff Jeff's done over the course of his career. Really nice guy. Um, Yeah, so I hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much for listening. All right, Jeff Valley, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing today, dude? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm psyched to uh, get you on here. Our mutual friend, Jesse Burke, um, he's been telling me, you got to get Jeff on, you got to get Jeff on. Um, So it was was cool running into you last week. Um, But I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like, what you've been working on lately. Um, this year has been kind of a, um, I guess, I mean, I, over the past few years, things have had, have, luckily I've had kind of like a slow kind of like up ramping in, in like the, the things that I get to work on and things I get to shoot. Um, that's not to say there's not, uh, you know, times of, you know, photo career is definitely a roller coaster. There's no matter what, there's always like down to meaning like downtime. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this year has been huge for me for a couple of different reasons. Um, my wife gave birth to my first child, my son, in May. Congrats. And so that's, that's obviously like a massive thing for us and a massive change. Yeah. Um, for, for the best, it's the greatest thing ever. Mm. Uh, I will say it's pretty tricky to transition into fatherhood as a freelance photographer. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're going to figure it out, or we are figuring it out as we go. But, you know, career-wise, uh, the beginning of the year was, was a good, you know, just kind of when you think things are, are you got things kind of going uh, perfect, you need to, need to have life kind of step in and remind you that you're not in control. So I bit on a bunch of things, didn't get a whole lot of action going on in the first part of the year, but I landed uh, one of my favorite jobs I've had in a long time, which was for Pandora Music. Mm. And um, so that was kind of like just, it, it'd been a while since I had a job that was like so right up my alley. It was like, it was kind of curated for me mm. just to run around with young people. You know, when I got the original creative deck, I saw that there was like skateboarding in it and things like this. And I'm like, all right, this sounds amazing. So I even got a chance to incorporate, um, some like relationships and friends that I have in the professional skateboarding world. Um, I even managed to pull in, um, I did a, a video test here in New York. There's these kids who ride um, bicycles all throughout the city, just doing wheelies up and down the big avenues. I mean, they could they could do a, a wheelie from the top of Central Park to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed them and did a product on them. And since I kind of got to know a little bit what they're about, I decided to kind of incorporate them into the Pandora shoot too. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to some guys I knew in New York and said, who do you know in LA? And so we, we, we cast one of those guys in the shoot too. So, an amazing shoot. It was it was a good collaboration with the client. We had a blast on set. You know, we ran around like crazy and worked our asses off. But yeah. uh, the end result was amazing and ended up, you know, doing some kind of like boss advertisements and some digital advertisements all over the U.S. So Yeah, that's um, cool. Do you feel like, because uh, like you grew up skateboarding just like me and like y- you see skateboarding in so many advertisements now, but like a lot of times... 
I don't know, skateboarding and a lot of ads, this looks kind of corny sometimes. Is it funny kind of looking like shooting skateboarding or when you look at all the different advertisements that utilize skateboarding now, being someone that's kind of grew up skateboarding, is it kind of like interesting to see kind of where it's gone now? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think it's really actually changed much. Yeah. To be honest. So like when I was a kid, so I, I mostly grew up like surfing. I, I skateboarded, you know, throughout my childhood into adulthood. Um, uh, but never as serious as all the people that were surrounding me. I just happened to have a lot of friends who were like, you know, what I consider to be like real skateboarders. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid and I watched like skating or surfing, like in a movie, you were always just like, Nope, that's not the way it looks. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it, it was pretty hard for people to actually show like an authentic side of, of skating or surfing. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's, I think it's in your best interest not to take yourself too seriously when it comes to that. So I had this, you know, envision that I was, I had Daniel Lutheran, who's a, a professional skateboarder yeah. and I met him through a friend, a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, Hey, do you want to do this thing? And my disclaimer to him was like, listen, like, um, I'm I'm gonna let them make the final edit, so they'll get to choose what photo that that goes into it. Yeah. And sure enough, they chose a photo when Daniel and I were just like cruising down the street. He was just warming up, and I was like literally just setting my camera settings. Yeah. And he just did a little of back seven eighty over like a manhole. Yep. And that's where they made the ad. And so I thought that they were more interesting pictures than that. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I gave Daniel the disclaimer. I'm like, listen, honestly, if you're, if you're worried about them choosing kind of a funky picture, yeah. then, uh, then, you know, you should, you should pass on this. Like, let's not take it too seriously. So yeah. it kind of, it happened like almost exactly how I thought it would happen. <laughs> and this is no, this is no, you know, diss on the people that chose the photos, you know, yeah. they know their brand and they thought, I mean, if they chose something that like, looked truly disgusting, I'd be like, Hey, we shouldn't use that photo. Yeah. But they just thought someone doing an ollie in the street and, you know, his big old head of hair and his wild clothes look cool. So yeah. I was like, I'm down, you know, it's, it's uh, cool, whatever you guys want to choose. Yeah, it's like two different applications. It's like it's not th it's not Thrasher magazine or Slap or something. It's just some brands utilizing it. Um, it is just funny, though, as like a skateboarder. It's like, I don't know if you've seen like in L.A., there's like that skate park. I think it's in like Santa Monica. It, it might as well be like a photo studio at this point. It's been used in like so many advertisements. It's like the one that's right in Santa Monica downtown with the bowl and stuff. Uh, it, it's pretty I've seen it in so many different advertisements, you know. Oh, the one that's on the beach? Yeah. Oh, it's in Venice. Yeah. Like yeah. it's shot. A lot. Yeah, it's interesting to see. But, yeah, I guess, like, go back. Like, where did you grow up? You said, I think when I was talking to you last weekend, you grew up in California. Yeah, I grew up in San Diego. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to grow up by the beach. I grew up, you know, like 30 minutes from the beach. Yeah. So, you know, my, my dad grew up in San Diego, and he was a surfer, and so he kind of involved that in my life at a young age. So he spent lots of time at the beach mm. and naturally like most kids, you know, I don't know, you, you see things around you and you want to do them. I don't necessarily know where or how I got my first skateboard. I think, you know, back then we would, there weren't really that really true skateboard shops. There was like a bike shop yeah. in, in the, in the town that I grew up in, like it's called Rancho Bernardo and Poway where like these two side by side communities. So you'd go there and you get stuff. But before that, you know, you were so you had to get skateboards from like the, the swap meet because that's for like where your parents were like, we're going to the swap meet, and that's I've seen <laughs> skateboards there. Yeah. So that's why you're getting one. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up in San Diego. I spent my whole life there until like 
my mid twenties. And then there was like kind of a, a bit of a migration of my friends group from San Diego up to LA. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started living up in LA with my friend Dan Rogers and eventually, um, you know, kind of like work in and out of Los Angeles and then moving to New York in uh, 2005. Wow, man, that's like a complete, like, going from San Diego to New York City, I don't think it can get much different. It, it, it must have been pretty interesting move, making the move, or do you feel like, it, was it a big change for you? It was. Um, in between there, you know, a lot happened. You know, I'm, I, from being attracted to Los Angeles, because I had some friends move up there, and I was like, yeah, I'll move up to L.A. I think it's because I got a job in, um, in tourism, so it kind of made it, it made it, um, like a, a logical move to move closer to um, like Orange County, which is, you know, where the job was and I had friends that lived in LA. Yeah. So that was actually kind of a big move. When I was younger, going up to LA from San Diego was wild. We we're just like, whoa, this is crazy. We like drive <laughs> up to LA and like, we heard the BC boys had a clothing store. So we like drove up there one time <laughs> or sometimes we would drive North from San Diego to go and like surf waves or go to a place like it's called the wedge in Newport beach, which is this crazy wave that people body surf. Yeah. Um, but other than that, then there was kind of like, after I lived in LA for a little while, I, I started spending more time around all these skateboarders and eventually motorcycles started to get involved in that world. Mm. Um, my friend Heath bought a motorcycle and then we started to meet other people with motorcycles mm. and we were on this cross country trip. And on that particular trip, um, I met two different people that shot photos for a living. And it sounds like a funny thing to be exposed to, but if no one ever tells you what commercial photography is or ad photography or editorial photography, you just kind of look at magazines and you go, I like the pictures and you move on. You don't think about the lives of the people that shot them or how, if you're interested in photography, how you would also do that. Mm. So I meet this guy, he publishes his own magazine. um, And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. It seemed like a very kind of brave thing to do. And he's also a photographer. So I'm kind of watching him cover this motorcycle trip. Um, for Harley Davidson because the trip was kind of a collaboration between a state company and Harley. Oh, wow. And then also on that trip was this um, guy who eventually became a close friend of mine named Jason Odell, mm. who was a photographer. And at that time he was in like um, the kind of part of your career where like you're just about done assisting and you're just about starting to shoot. Yeah. And so he was like working on really big commercial stuff as an assistant. And so I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And he used to be, I think it was like an amateur skateboarder or possibly a professional skateboarder. No, I remember. And so my first question, I remember my first question was, so why don't you shoot skating? Hmm. And he was like, well, cause I want to make a living. <laughs> and I was, and I think he was saying about it as a little bit of a joke, but I knew what he meant. He was like, Oh, like it sounded like shooting skating is a bit of a struggle as far as like trying to make a living at it. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, ups and downs of that. And he was more attracted to kind of like, I don't know, a different side of photography. So I was like, okay, interesting. So I'm kind of watching these two maneuver through this trip. And then eventually I get to know Jason better and I go to his wedding and I'm at this wedding and like everybody at the wedding is some sort of creative. <laughs> like his wife is a fashion designer and he's a photographer. So there's all these people there that do creative things for a living. Mm. And it just opened my eyes and I'm like, you know what? I left that wedding and I wrote down on a piece of paper that just said, I'm going to be a photographer. Oh. And then my wife and I, um, we were already on our way to move to New York. So how, when how, I moved to New how, York. how old were you at this point? Like when you're, you're kind of getting into photography? So I didn't take photography seriously until I was um, 30 years old. Wow. So you got into it later. That's interesting. That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I took photo classes in high school because I had this brand new high school I went to that didn't have very many electives. Yeah. So one of them was photography. But, I mean, I didn't learn a damn thing in that class. Like, yeah. I think I sort of understood the idea behind, like, uh, like <laughs> different apertures mm. and creating different depths of field. Yeah. Other than that, I virtually learned nothing. Yeah. But I gained the curiosity for photography. But it didn't like click in my head like I want to be a photographer until I was 29, and then I moved to moved to New York. I turned 30, and then I basically started working in a restaurant to get my feet on the ground, and then and started assisting about six months later. And that's when I kind of like truly started pursuing the you know the idea of a career in photography. That's cool. Like, what kind of jobs were you doing before you discovered photography? I guess what were you kind of doing prior to that? Um, I waited tables and I bust tables through most of my 20s because I wanted the most bang for my buck. So I wanted to, like, make a bunch of cash and then bail and go on trips. All right. And I also, because I was always surrounded by professional skateboarders who were like, we're going to Phoenix this weekend on the motorcycles, I wanted that flexibility in my life. Mm. And so as a waiter, I'd be like, cover my shifts. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to go, like, get nuts with my friends and then come back and try to make some money. And then in the middle there somewhere, I was, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but it was my favorite job in my life probably. I was a tour guide. Oh, so I used to work on like those big, like 50 person coaches. And I would take, uh, this company did tours for 18 to 35 year olds and you take them all over the country and just kind of like show them this, show them the country and, and party with them. Wow. They do a whole, so it's like people from around the world that are coming to the U.S. and you, you go all around the U.S. pretty much? Yeah, so like a typical trip and you like leave Los Angeles and, and go to New York over the course of a month. Mm. Damn. That... So it was it was fun. It was it was a it was a wild ride and uh and I have a lot of, you know, great friends and memories from it. And it's a perfect job to do in your twenties, I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that I was like, Cool, I'm ready to kinda of like get serious and try out this photography thing. That's awesome. So you basically just kinda of taught yourself photography, like you never went to like college for it or anything like that? No, I didn't. Um, the, like I said, the very, very fundamental basics of it, mm-hmm. I learned in like a, in photo classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to a community college in San Diego for like a semester because I really just wanted to use their lab and develop film. Yep. Um, but other than that, like I learned about photography and how to be a photographer on set as a photo assistant. Mm-hmm. So like I came to New York and I just emailed like a million photographers and said, I'll work for free. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's where I learned everything about photography. That's cool. Like, what were some of the photographers you were assisting? What kind of work were you, when you first kind of jumped into it, what kind of stuff were you working on? Um, when I very first started, the first photographer I worked for, um, a guy named Bill Diodato. Hmm. Um, he shot, like, still life and a little bit of fashion and things like that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, say some stories. He was a pretty wild dude. Yeah. Um, we had a pretty explosive ending to our relationship, mm. but I learned a ton from him. Um, I learned a lot of technical stuff. And when I left working full time for him, that's when I went freelance and started working for lots of different photographers. Um, and from there I worked quite a bit. I mean, I worked with lots of different people. I probably worked the most with a guy named Carter Berg and he primarily shot, um, like, like, like couture fashion for Ralph Lauren. Mm. And so that's a lot what I worked on. And he's actually the person that I, he basically taught me how to load medium format film. Yeah. So that's another thing too. I came to New York and people were assisting and I didn't know anything about loading film. Okay. So I felt like such an idiot. 
<laughs> and I didn't know how to use very basic things. I had never loaded Polaroid into a camera. I never loaded a Roller 120 into a camera. Mm. But he knew that. And he, when he asked me that, he's like, you really never loaded a Polaroid into a camera. He's just like, huh, that's a first. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, well, I'll load the film today. Like, you just fill with, you know, help me out. And then you come to my apartment next time we do a job and I'll show you how to load film. Mm. And so he was super patient and told, taught me how to load film. And I don't think I've ever worked for a photographer that was as kind of like, uh, yeah, just welcoming to my, my naive nature and willing to teach me. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you feel like assisting was like pretty beneficial for you. Kind of like, what do you, what do you feel like you learned most from like assisting, um, that kind of taking it away from like moving into your own thing, you think? Well, I think about learning how to use strobes. I mean, I think I know a lot of people that went to college, and I don't think you leave college with a with a really solid understanding of how to light things. Yeah, I think a lot of newer or younger photographers. I mean, we're in an industry where it's where it's really necessary for you to be almost borderline arrogant to kind of compete in this insane thing. We're all trying to claw for the top. Um, and so people often talk about their work and what they're capable of with lots of bravado in the beginning where I'm like the complete opposite. Like I'm like mm. my natural default setting is to just be self-deprecating. <laughs> and so it's, it's all like listening to, to the Smiths and Morrissey growing up. Like I, <laughs> my style. Yeah. So um, I think learning how to light things yep. and patiently learning that it's going to take you a long time to be like a really solid person at lighting. And so I learned about that. And then I just learned, honestly, some of the most basic things. Like when I, when I first started assisting, I'm not shitting you. I didn't understand the relationship in between shutters, shutter speed and apertures and the idea of like a full stop. Yeah. Like, oh, if you like, if you like open up a stop on the aperture, you can close down a stop on the shutter speed. I didn't know those two things were related. Mm. And I remember one time being on set and someone making fun of another photographer they assisted and said that they were stumbling with that and that it was photography 101 mm. and I would just put my head down and I was like, when I go home tonight, I am going to learn out, learn what the fuck these guys are talking about. Yeah. And I'm going to hope they don't ask me before I look it up. Yeah. So I went home and I would just like try to devour as much information about the stuff that I felt like I, I didn't know that was basic. Yep. So, but the ba main thing you learn as a commercial or a commercial assistant is learning how to light things because mm -hmm. if you're more of a natural light shooter, then that's a little more kind of like you and your subject, but lighting things is something that you have to take time to learn. Yeah, for sure. Do you, was it like a were, was it like an exciting time for you, even though you were still kind of learning, or was it kind of like nerve wracking on each job, or what do you remember about? It? Was it kind of this exciting kind of learning everything on the go, pretty much? I remember thinking that prior to moving to New York. I wanted to do like a big trip every year. Like I wanted to go someplace in the world and surf or I wanted to go. Yeah. I wanted to do like big kind of grand trips with the money that I'd saved. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to New York and I started assisting, I lost that desire. And I think that's like the silver lining to me assisting is that my life at that time seemed very exciting. Mm. Um, like every time I went to work, I was learning something. I think, um, yeah, it just, it seemed wild and new and, you yeah. know, there's also the side of like, Oh, all of a sudden you're shooting like, you know, possibly notable people and models and hairstylists and all these things are around you. So that's, 
when you go to work, you're not bored by any means. Yeah. I mean, after you do that for a while, it becomes a little less shiny yeah. and you become, you know, you need that, you need that stimulation again. But in the beginning, it's, yeah. an, it's an amazing start. Hell yeah, man. I look back as like some of the early days of photography. Those are like the funnest times. It's almost like skateboarding in a sense. Like when you first pick up a skateboard, you first you learn to ollie and then you learn to kickflip. And it's like, it's really exciting. It's just like I, the, the early days are some of the, the best times, you know? Um, but what kind of... I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some facts to the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. It's like the more you get to know something, the more you open yourself up to being critical of it. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, you're just loving it. And then you get to know it well enough and the, the kind of, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like if you get... I remember getting good, at, good enough at surfing to where I started to have bad days. Yeah. And so it's like in the beginning when you're skating, you don't really have bad days because every day is like fun. And then you get good enough to where you start to get mad at yourself for not being as good as you want to be. And then that's like the new chapter in it. So that can happen in anything you do, including photography. Yeah. And I've been thinking lately, like, like when I look back, when I first started shooting, everything like you were saying is like, it's new and you're just trying to be creative. But the further along down the road you go and you start to learn more about the industry and you start reading PDN and you start looking at all these contests and you start paying attention to Instagram, I almost been thinking lately like it almost can fuck with at least me like my creativity somewhat because I think I'm like paying attention to all this other stuff that's going on whereas if I think if I ignored it maybe I can just kind of do my own thing, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I don't think there's probably a photographer out there that hasn't thought, I wish Instagram never existed. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's people out there that just still love every second of it. Yeah. I find it to be detrimental because it's just the whole comparison thing. Mm. Um, I think, what was it like? I don't know, maybe like six months ago. So a friend of mine who's a photographer and that I that's kind of like the person I surf with the most in New York, he also assists another photographer on our roster, an agency. Yep. And um, I guess he was on set one day and the photographer asked him, she's like, oh, you, you know, you know, Jeff Valley, like, what's his secret, man? That guy just seems to always work. <laughs> and so he texts, he texts me that. Yeah. And I was like, I thought she always was working. She looks like she's busy all the time. It's all perception. And so I, ca- I call my agent and we're like having lunch one day and I was like, does every photographer think that every other photographer is all, they're all busy except them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And she's like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So we all watch each other's life by Instagram and mm-hmm. it's, it's innocent. We want to share, we go on there to like get inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but the old, the old style of Instagram where you really just were kind of watching passively and having a good time watching your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of over for some people, especially photographers. So if you're in the business of making pictures and Instagram is all pictures, yep. it's kind of hard to separate the two. Yeah, it's weird. And then even me, like you, you'll I'll look at campaigns for like companies that they're shooting, and like uh, I start to think like, oh, do I need to like shoot like that to get that type of work? And like a thing I kind of always ask people is like as a commercial photographer, do you feel like you need to create work that's going to attract clients or do you basically just kind of shoot what you want, put it out there and hope people respond to it? I think there's probably a little bit of both. I know that's not like a very cool answer. Yeah. Um, I do have, I do know people that never bowed to the idea of like thinking about 
a commercial outlet for their photography. Like they just created what, what they truly wanted to create. Mm -hmm. And I, I I think there's a possibility that, that you kind of like miss a few of the first few boats that come by. Yeah. Um, I think if you have an idea of where your photography fits into commercial photography Mm -hmm. and potentially, you know, your test shoots have that in mind, um, then I think that's important too. I mean, like for example, I mean, some people really, when they look for photographers to bid on a project, like an RPI or something, you know, they're like, okay, well let's do these people. And it's for a beverage company. Like, do you have any beverage stuff in your portfolio? And you might, you know, a lot of people will be like, no, I have zero. Like I don't, I don't have anything. And it's not something that typically lands in people's photography if they don't shoot that type of stuff. So you might, as a photographer, don't shoot a test and then maybe right up your alley, you're doing stuff that maybe, you know, it feels authentic to you as a photographer and you just throw in a few things that can kind of like act as props that will, you know, feel a little more on the commercial side. Mm. I don't know. It's tough to answer that one. Mm. I, I am like strongly in the court of that. You should probably do tests that kind of cover your bases for people that look at your portfolio. Yeah. Let's say that you're getting up for a bunch of jobs that end up being portraits in the studio mm-hmm. and you're more of like a natural light person outside, but you, you find that you're getting up for more jobs than you had expected yeah. of stuff in the studio. Well, obviously it's in your best interest to go out and, you know, create some schedule where you shoot some portraits mm-hmm. um, where you, or you either naturally light them in the studio or light them, you know, with lights. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, I think it's important to go and make personal work that has nothing to do with commercial work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like a, it's like a balance. Because, uh, like, when you first started shooting, even when you're assisting, like, what what type of work were you shooting yourself, just even for yourself? Like, what were you kind of interested in early on? So, in the beginning, my portfolio was mostly made up of these couple of trips that I had gone on with skateboarders on motorcycle trips. Mm. And so, I would photograph those, and those were kind of the things that would attract people the most. Yep. And within that group, I would bring white paper and I would shoot um, like clean portraits of skateboarders. Mm. So that was the stuff that was kind of like resonating with people yeah. the most. And then I kind of early on, I started setting up like when the motorcycle trip stopped, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of like that was kind of like the, the pipeline that kind of fed my portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I started setting up things of that nature on my own. Mm. I just was like, all right, I'm going to go get this place in Joshua Tree and I'm going to invite some friends. And I would say, like, I'll provide all the food and all the beer, and you guys show up with, like, a couple different sets of clothes, and whoever comes, just know that you're going to be photographed a lot. And mm-hmm. So I would, I would photograph that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of, like, started my portfolio. And then that's what, like, essentially, like, landed me my first, like, um, real commercial job, which was with um, Wrangler Europe. Was that like, because like that's the one thing I'm always interested. Like, did you kind of already have a goal in mind for the work that you were hoping to get? Like, because that's like, at least for me, that's like that was a tough thing early on trying to figure out who the fuck I was as a photographer. Did you kind of from the get go already know like the type of clients you wanted? Pretty much. I mean, I think at a certain point, it didn't take me too long to kind of figure out. I mean, it was it, it's always naive in the beginning, right? Like you can't get around that. Your thoughts about where you're going to end up or what you're going to do in the beginning yep. are just based off of the little bit of information you have and the fact that you just don't have anyone to ask these questions to yep. or enough people to ask. Yeah. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, I want to like work for companies like Levi's. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like I saw like Ryan McGinley ads for Levi's and I was like, that's, that's fucking it right there. Yeah. Like he just took his personal work 
and they just put Levi's on people and they're just like going bananas and he's, she's shooting what he was already shooting. Mm. So to me, I was like, that's what I want to do. So I would see like Ray-Ban ads and I would see like Converse ads and Levi's ads and I'm like, cool, that kind of feels like that's relatable enough to what I like, mm. how I see things. Yeah. I would like to shoot for them. But I mean, in the beginning, like when I first moved to New York, I think I was just like, yeah, like look at all this photojournalism. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's a whole other side of photography. And I even went to the Eddie Adams workshop, oh, which wow. is like a yeah. photojournalism workshop that um, is like merit based up in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think I was there for a couple of days and I remember calling my dad and being like, well, I know one thing. I don't want to be a photojournalist. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that you think? I was like, I was just like, these people are just too gnarly for me. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like super intense. The subject matter was like oftentimes really heartbreaking stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't think that I had the capacity to kind of like pursue that. And also they give you like an assignment um, at the Eddie's workshop to go and shoot like a basically a photojournalism story. Yeah. And I came back and I think they were just like, okay, well, none of these pictures are interesting. And they have a slideshow at the end of the, or not like a slideshow, but like a presentation. Yeah. They split up all the, the students into groups. So you're like, oh, you're the green group and the gold group. And you show like a montage of like the stuff you shot. Mm -hmm. And none of my photos ended up in my group montage because they didn't like any of them. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's tough. Because uh, what kind of stuff, like, are you attracted to shooting most, you think? Like, what do you enjoy shooting? What kind of piques your interest when you get a job or an assignment you think i think i'm just i'm attracted to themes yeah um i always kind of tell people like i like photo making pictures that make people jealous of the scene that make them look at it and go like damn i want to do that mm. so that's kind of like my broad net that can mean anything that can be like oh um you know, a lot of my stuff is is more youthful and it's like younger people like kind of like just having a good time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, let's say it's at the beach or it's at a rooftop party or if it's like skating down the street or whatever it is, I just want it to look energetic mm -hmm. and I want it to look like people are having a blast. Yep. And so that's actually what I started photographing is just photographing my friends doing that. Yep. And so those are the types of jobs that I'm attracted to mostly is I just, and I can even just be a portrait in a studio. Mm -hmm. I want the portrait to look like someone is, in the middle of like a moment of having like a great piece of conversation or, yeah. you know, meeting someone new or they're like kind of lost in the moment. Like I'm just always looking for that kind of like dreamy, um, yeah, like scene where people can look at it and think when I finish, you know, what I'm doing right now, I want to go on a road trip or I want to go and do that. Or I want to like buy a ticket and go on a vacation and go do this with my friends. So yeah. it's just to inspire people to get up and kind of move and, and go continue to have as much fun as possible. Yeah. And like, since you're like working commercially and like you're saying like your first portfolio is like your, your friends on trips on motorcycle rides and photographing your friends is like one thing when they're having a great time. But then when you get hired to shoot, like for a, a brand like Wrangler or whatever it may be, how do you, how do you work with these? Like, cause these people are not your friends. They're hired talent. There's like stylists. How do you create, create that environment where it still looks like the same fun that you created with your friends more organically? How do you kind of create it when you're, you're, you're kind of artificially making it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because I think there's a lot of, I think if you talk to a younger version of me and a lot of uh, photographers who are trying to break in, they just think like, yeah, let's keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I've seen other photographers, you know, go into their first few jobs and stumble and eventually like make it out of that trench. But the trap is, is that you, you think it's going to be the same as when you you were shooting your personal work. Yeah. And like, even the night before you go into those commercial shoots in your head, you're just like, Oh man, like tomorrow I'm going to get this dude to like skate down the street and like all the way over the bicycle. Yeah. And like, it's going to be all wild, just how I'm imagining it. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, okay, let's go ahead and like, style them up and you're like whoa whoa he's like wearing brand new like crispy jeans and like pure clean tennis shoes like yeah. visually already you're like it's kind of fucking with you yeah and then you've just met this model right so yeah. like you don't have that rapport that you have with your friends so there are a lot of hurdles to get from like what you create on your own mm -hmm. to doing that on set but what you do is just over time you create like this bag of tricks mm -hmm. to get people to warm up quicker it's all about trying to get to the sweet spot as quick as possible, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've, I've shot models who get paid a lot, a lot of money. It's not like the first frame you take of them is golden. There's still, like, there's still a little bit of a warm-up period where like, you're getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a trust thing, right? They want to know that they're a part of like, something that's going to make something that they're proud of. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I involve models and my subjects in the shots, meaning like, if I shoot something and we get a good frame, like I'll be like, come over here, come over here, like take a look at this, look at the back of the camera. And they're like, damn, all right, cool. <laughs> and then you're like, now it's on. Mm. Let's go for it. Yeah. And so there's other ways to do things. You know what I mean? It's just like never underestimate the power of music. Mm -hmm. Turn on some music, man. Yeah. Get people pumped up. Get them forgetting about the fact that they're on a photo set. And naturally the main goal is just to be like, how quickly can we get to the point where you are not thinking about the fact that you're being photographed and we're just having a good time. Yeah. And once people are having a good time, then the photographs will be, you know, they'll start living in that space that you've been looking for. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's so interesting because like people don't realize looking at the photos that like, they might think it's like one thing, but in reality, it's like there's an art director looking at a monitor probably sometimes. And it's just like, it's always interesting how people can kind of create these like scenarios like you do, you know, where it looks like it's like a party or the trip or and people are having fun. So it's always interesting. But yeah, that's cool, man. Um, and it's like, it's like style and aesthetic. Like, uh, is that something you think about a lot? Like the style of your photos, did it kind of like take you a while to kind of find your voice as a photographer, you think? Um, I think it's, I, I, um, I'm not sure if it's a yes or no answer. It's a thing where I think I just surrendered to the fact that this is how I take photos. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like kind of like a, like a giving up thing. Yep. I think if you run around and you take 10,000 photos, you'll know what your voice is. It's like, just go through the edit and be like, Oh, Obviously, I like shooting um, tight portraits. Yeah, you know, I mean, you'll, you, I mean, I'm not sure if you know this with your photography. I mean, over time, everyone usually notices that you're just like, damn, I need to back up every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's sure. like I feel like the cream rises to the top, meaning like who you are as a photographer will just eventually rise. Yeah, um, and so you'll start to understand what subject matter you're more attracted to. I mean, it didn't take me long to figure out, like, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, of most keen interest in shooting younger people because I like their energy. Mm -hmm. um, but saying that, I mean, I've shot older subjects and, and I just thought, shot this, this surfer who I think I'm assuming he's in his like late thirties, early forties for men's health. And I had an amazing day with him. He was like the raddest dude, but that's, maybe that's because he had something kind of young inside of him as a surfer. Yeah. But um, as far as finding your voice, I think 
how you shoot pictures will naturally kind of rise. I think it's really important to like take a look at that and make sure that you also supplement your photography with um, kind of like bracketing things. If you like go into your photos and you're like, man, I'm always shooting like super tight portraits Mm -hmm. and go and be like, all right, cool. Remind yourself to, to back up and shoot some backed out stuff, some full length stuff. Remind yourself to come in and maybe shoot some details that are like not even like the person's face that kind of support the story. So like, teaching yourself to be a more well-rounded photographer is important, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, knowing what you are naturally attracted to is is important too. Yeah. And one thing I'm always kind of interested in is like, as you know, once you're you're working commercially and you're bidding on jobs and a big component is like with advertising is you have to put like treatments together. Uh, What's your approach to like putting treatments together? Uh, Because like, I feel like being able to communicate your ideas and what your skill set is to the clients. Do you feel like that's kind of a big component to like landing these bigger jobs, kind of being able to communicate what your creative approach is? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like when you and I are talking right now, we're making, um, there's a certain amount of knowledge that we have about each other already. So we don't need to, we don't need to tell each other every detail. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But it's sometimes you, you forget, okay, listen, if you're making a treatment for someone and you're going to give it to an ad agency and they're going to show their client, that person may know nothing about you. So you really need to describe what you're going to do. Mm. And sometimes that will be actually technically describing how you're going to light or take a photograph. Yeah. Especially if something in the, something in the project is a little more technical. Yep. Well, I mean, let's say you're shooting a beverage bottle and you're shooting people like bouncing around being, and it's like lifestyle. Well, the eventual client is going to be interested in having a sharp bottle mm-hmm. and like a, and, and a clearly readable label. So these are things, you know, time that you're going to like want to talk your way through how technically you're going to take the photographs. Yeah. But as far as treatments in general, I mean, we, um, we need to make them all the time. I mean, they're, it seems like they're more and more a part of the bidding process. Yep. Um, and I think it's just about kind of trying to convey who you are and the style and approach that you're going to do the one, the one thing that I have a, I have a problem with treatments is I feel like it, it loses a little bit of your personality. Like it's a good thing that almost every job involves a creative call and a treatment. Yeah. And that way when you're on the call, you can maybe kind of like get into it a little bit about your personality and like mm. be able to can kind of in, in convey what parts of the job are really exciting to you yeah. and what parts of the job that you think could be, you know, maybe slightly modified or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, this all depends on like the, the feeling you get from the agency. Are they looking to have your creative input or do they want you to simply just describe, um, you know, how you'd approach the photographs and, and put together like an image PDF. So sometimes it's kind of like just the image PDF and sometimes they really want you to kind of like talk about where you would shoot it and how you would cast it mm. um, and things like that. And those are really important things, you know, a yeah. photographer that's involved in casting is, you know, getting involved from the very beginning all the way to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I look at the, uh, the treatment as almost like, it's like a, it's like a job, like a resume in a sense where it's like, how do I make myself look professional, but at the same time have a personality and stick out from the pack? You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely wrestle with that. I think there's a question out there. It's like, are you better off creating a, a treatment that's a little more kind of like, um, standard, let's say, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and be kind of like more palatable to more people yeah. or, 
or a treatment that's just that's a little more like off center and a little more <laughs> let uh, it, let like, it rip. yeah, he kind of like let it rip, and you were like, "This is what I would do." That's what your, your voice sounds like through the treatment, yeah. and you would kind of like be less palatable to more people, but maybe someone would be like, "It uh, seems like this person is really thinking about how they want to do this particular job instead of just sounding like such a kind of like general statement type of person." Yeah. And this is what, you know, photographers kind of like, you know, lots of creators have to deal with all the time is, you know, we're excited to go to work. It's mm -hmm. like, that's just like the bottom line. I mean, ex at least I am. Yeah. Like, I'm always excited to go to work. I've never landed a job or done a project and walked away and been like, oh, I totally shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Because one, you learn something on every job. You, you definitely leave with at least some pictures that are in your wheelhouse. And so it's all beneficial and I like working. I like meeting new people and I like interacting with my subjects. Mm. So, you know, I want to have lots of different kinds of jobs. Yeah. And so we're always trying to kind of like figure out what the, what the magic recipe is to, uh, to make sure that, you know, we get as close to being the, the winning bit as possible. Yeah. And like from the point you go from like assisting to shooting, was that like a gradual like transition or did you just kind of cut off assisting and go straight into shooting or how, how was your transition? Because like everyone knows you can, it's easy to get one job, but the hard thing is to get continuous work where you can actually make a career out of this. I guess, how was your kind of transition to being able to do this full time? Um, it was definitely a transition. It wasn't like a, like a cutoff thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I kind of describe it as like crossing a moat. It's like you kind of like, it takes a, a while to get to the other side. It's usually not like one swift move. Mm. And so Alex, I'll let you in a little bit of my, my personal life here. So my son is waking up from a nap. All right. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's looking, he's looking at me being like, Hey, what's up, dude? What are we doing now? <laughs> um, so you might, you might hear a couple of baby noises. That's all right. And, uh, <laughs> it's even a relevant subject for a photographer because eventually you have to figure out uh, the balance between your personal life and your life as a photographer. Hell yeah, man. Because um, both of them, uh, in the beginning, you're just like, my life is only about photo. No, nah, nah. like, that's, that's And that's cool. And then eventually you're like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to balance this or I'm going to go insane. <laughs> yeah, man. It's the, hardest, it's the hardest battle in life, probably. But as far as the transition between the two, um, I don't know if this is typical or not. So basically the first few jobs you land are so like strange how you get them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, you know, I met someone who told me to show my portfolio to someone and I thought that she was just a wardrobe stylist. And I found out that she was like kind of working as a freelance art director for an ad agency in London. And they put my name forward for Wrangler Europe. And, you know, and to be brutally honest, a lot of times in the beginning when you get your first few jobs, you're getting them because you fit the, the budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if they had the money to hire Mr. Huge Photographer, they would be shooting for the stars. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, they're, they're paying attention to who they can afford. So yeah. it's great. It gives you an opportunity to shoot door. some things that are commercial. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, so you get it but by a, a kind of a funky way. But once you get in there, you prove yourself and you make some great work. Mm. So I did that. And that was like the first time that I got to shoot something and show how my work looked like in a commercial setting. Mm. And it worked out good. I was yeah. like, well, like that was tough. It was kind of stressful. Mm. You know, it was, it was wild showing up for my first like major shoot. And like the call time is like whatever, 5.30 or 6 a.m. And I start shooting and I look behind me and there's just like a half circle of like 30 people. Yeah. 
And I'm just like, oh man, this is <laughs> this is a little, is a little bit different. Yeah, everyone's look, so, every, everyone's looking to you for what to do next. Yeah, and then at that point, you you get right into the the heart, the meaty feelings of what it means to feel the imposter syndrome. Mm. So you're just like, I'm not ready for this. They don't even know I'm not even a real commercial photographer. Like, yeah. what am I doing here? Do I even have the ability to do this? And so. You know, if you can fight past those yeah. those feelings, then you can kind of keep going. I remember on my on that job, I got a, a text message from a photographer that I used to assist, or that I had just assisted, you know, shortly previous to that shoot, and he just said, "Remember, um, this is your shoot. You're the photographer." Yeah. And I was like, I was sitting at lunch, and I got that, and I was like, "Cool!" Like I exhaled, and I was like, "All right, cool. Like, <laughs> this, yeah, is, this is your shoot. Follow your instincts." Yeah, um, and that's a huge thing for me when people talk about photography and like how you know how do you do it whatever I'm just like hey man like your portfolio looks a certain way and it has a point of view because you followed your instincts just follow those same instincts on set if you get to set and someone they show up and they look corny you're just like you guys this looks corny mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like if they're hiring you because you grew up with like dirty ass pro skateboarders mm-hmm. and they love that aesthetic mm-hmm. and someone shows up to set and it's for a denim campaign and they've got brand new shiny sneakers on <laughs> you're like you know what dude we got to go barefoot <laughs> yeah yeah it's and so yeah uh, go ahead i was just gonna say like like you're saying like your first campaign you you, you have the nerves or whatever i feel like Almost like every job you get, every job's different. Every job has its own unique challenges. And probably, I don't know about yourself, I'm sure you get jobs sometimes where it might be something you've never shot before. Or it might be some motion component that you haven't done before. And it's not that, I feel like everyone probably feels that way in a sense. Like you might not know, have the exact experience, but it's a matter of like figuring out how to like solve those problems, you know? You know what? The best thing about being a photo assistant is basically teaching yourself that your job is to be a problem solver. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, I'm sh- it sounds like you experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a photographer or an assistant or whatever is just going to work and being like, no matter how similar it is to the last one, even if it's the same exact client and we're still shooting up it. Let's say you're siloing stuff up against white. Yep. Well, you have a new model. They have a different skin tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's the same strobes, like maybe it's a different studio and the, and the ceiling is lower. You're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of like different yep. things going on in here. Mm-hmm. So everything is just about problem solving. Yep. And so I think just years of assisting or years of shooting your own photos and realizing that you're just going to go into things and you're going to hit speed bumps. And that's literally part of the process. Yep. And you should expect it is, is when you, um, maybe things will become a little, you know, feel a little smoother to you. Yeah, for sure. Like I did a job a month ago where I had to shoot like underwater stuff and I'd never shot underwater. And it's just like, yeah, you just do your research. You talk to other people who have done it before and you just get a fucking game plan and then you just figure it out. You know, I, I love that, man. You know, there's nothing more like, uh, humbling than shooting underwater and figuring out that it can be a clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It, it, luckily, it worked out. I shot a lot and talked to a lot of people, but I think that's that's just the name of the game. Like, And then now down the road, like you have a new experience. You shot this before, so now you have that into your arsenal, you know? You know what I think is interesting about situations like that is some there's people out there that specialize in underwater, right? 
Yep. So they can probably jump in the pool and immediately get like a properly exposed image and know how the light's going to fall off and like, you know, what the focal length is going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But you may jump in the pool and make a picture that's really unique because you don't have all this like baggage, this history of making pictures underwater. Yeah. And so you might make something that like has a unique point of view. I mean, you most likely will make something that has a unique point of view because it's not your... It's not something you do all the time. So I think sometimes situations like that are yeah. are a recipe for success. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of like I was saying earlier is like I think once you kind of get consumed with the photo industry and pay attention to like whatever industry standards there are, it, I feel like sometimes it can kind of like uh, bog down your creativity in a sense like you were saying. That, so that's kind of like a lot of times my favorite photographers are like these super young people because – they don't have like the history and knowledge of like the the industry for the last 20 years they're just getting in it for the pure fun of photography you know what i mean yeah there's this really great interview i mean uh if anybody had followed my instagram and and watched the instagram stories the the, the small little few hundred people that watched it there was a time where on showtime they did a documentary on rick rubin the uh, music producer oh yeah and I was just like consumed with this documentary. It's like a several part series. Mm-hmm. But there was a part where he's talking about young hip hop hip hop artists right now, yep. and he said he's finally meeting a generation of hip hop artists who don't care or don't want to know about the history of hip hop. Yeah, because they don't necessarily want it to influence what they're doing. And Rick Rubin, you know, people expect guys his age to be like, you need to know where where your music came from and like the history of it and like. You should know every other big name in hip hop by heart. And he was like, no, like I dig it. Like they're being like irreverent, creative people and they don't want to be influenced by, um, you know, yeah, by anything really. They just want to like create something that whatever like pops into their mind. Yeah. They're, they're not bogged down by what someone else did prior to them, you know? Yeah. It's funny. You know, the, the first person who exposed me to that idea was Ed Templeton. Oh yeah. Um, I was on, we were on one of those motorcycle road trips and I was very familiar with Danny Lyons work, the bike riders project that he did like back in the sixties, I think, or seventies. Yeah. And it's, I'm not sure if you know that project, but like the, the pictures are so amazing and cool and like mm. all raw and stuff. And if you like motorcycles they are kind of like iconic photography Yeah. and, and, um, he obviously being like a, total student of photography and also be like the biggest photo book collector out there. Yeah. Um, he is aware of him, but I was like, Oh, did you like look at that stuff before you came on the trip? He's like, no, I didn't want to be influenced by it. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't get it. Like I didn't get tainted. Yeah. I just wanted to shoot the photos that I wanted to shoot. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that's sick. And in my head, I was like, Oh man, I always like look at his <laughs> wife and info and all this other stuff. And he has like the mental strength just to like go into one on his own. I was like, that's kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah. No, Ed's, Ed's a, he, he's an interesting guy. I had him on the podcast like a couple months ago and, yeah, like you said, like that guy is a student of photography. He knows, like, yeah, his book collection is nuts. Um, but you know, one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you about. Uh, I talked to, when I saw you last week at Jesse's Barbecue uh, a couple years ago. You had a really cool website or blog or whatever you want to call it. I think what was it called? You go on these trips with Heath Kurchart. It was called "We're We're Really Doing This." That's what it was called, right? Yeah, it's called, it was called We're Really Doing It. The name comes from the movie Dumb and Dumber. Okay. When they uh, when they get in the van and they finally go on the trip, he like turns, uh, Jim Carrey turns to him and he goes, we're really doing it, Harry. 
Yeah. That's kind of like what Keith and I, we, we used to go on trips or go on road trips or decide to do something off the cuff. Mm. We used to just kind of like try to psych each other up. You're like, we're really doing it. Yeah. And I think so what the first one you guys would go on the trip, I think the first one that I saw was you guys rode your bikes across the United States, right? Yeah. So I was working in New York. I was just like, it was after the, uh, economic collapse. So I was working as a production assistant for anthropology that kind of like, um, paid my bills for, for quite some time. Yeah. And, um, he was struggling with the idea of like staying in skateboarding and he didn't want to be one of these people that kind of like slowly faded away. He wanted to, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld it and just like make your last episode and walk away. Yeah. And so, um, he wanted to quit skateboarding. And so he emailed me and said, do you want to ride a bicycle across the country? Yeah like literally like a one line email. And so I said, yes. And that was kind of like his retirement party in a sense. So we, uh, one fall, I think it was in September, we, we rode from long beach where his house was to uh, my house in, in Brooklyn. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty wild. And for you, what made you want to go on that trip? Was it, was, was it, did you approach it like a photo project? Was it more just of a fun trip with your friend, the challenge? what kind of made it, you... it wasn't it wasn't a photo project um and the blog wasn't like something that i thought about doing from the beginning i just always am drawn to the idea or the opportunity to experience something new mm-hmm. and Heath and i also kind of both um together have this desire to kind of do things that are so new or you might even actually kind of stumble mm-hmm. and if you do that with your friends you get to kind of like laugh at each other and you have like a partner in crime and like looking like an idiot yeah and so you know, we openly talked about how we didn't know anything about bicycles or like riding across country or things like that. Like, you know, I didn't know how to like take a chain off of a bicycle or like, you know, (laughs) fix anything on it other than like patch a tire. Yeah. And so we did a little research and we bought these bikes that were sturdy enough to go, you know, that many miles. And, you know, we went for it. And then somewhere in the very beginning, I was like, oh, we should like, you know, just write about it so our friends can read about it. Mm. And just like, you know, I don't know, share the experience. Then that ended up actually being a little bit of like a therapeutic thing. Like while you're riding a bicycle for like five to seven or eight hours a day, you need something to think about. And so it, the blog gave me a chance to kind of like think about what I would write about and how I would write something kind of unique every other day and and have something. It's like the same thing with photography. I I didn't want to just be like, and then we stopped for lunch and then we fixed our bike. I wanted to tell people about, the honest side of it yeah. and make some jokes about it and peel, peel back some of the, uh, you know, the outside tough exterior and show some of the honesty behind it. Like I got, I got giant blisters on my feet and then it started raining and I got like bugs in my eye and shit like that pretty much. Uh, I, I, I remember reading it. It was like, it, it, like how long did it take you guys to ride across the United States? Um, we did it in 53 days. Damn. That, that's actually... So we took, we, we took a few days off. Yeah. Um, like we, we rode like an average of like 60 something miles a day. Damn. And then we took a few days off in there. Like we, um, went and had like a wild time in Indianapolis on Halloween and like woke up a little too hungover and didn't <laughs> go very far the next day. And we had some friends meet us, um, in somewhere in Missouri for a little uh, day off where we like went and jumped in a lake and, you know, had some good times with them. But mostly it was, was riding, riding roughly 60 miles a day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just, you just, 
I, it's, you definitely learn about taking on a big task. It's like if you think about the big task, you're never going to make it. But if you take, think about taking little bite-sized pieces, then yeah. it's manageable. Yeah, and then I think the next one, you guys ended up climbing El Capitan, the rock, which is where, – where is that? Is that Yellowstone? It's in Yosemite, so Yosemite. it's in Central California. Got it. And But the one thing I always say when people say that, that we climbed El Cap is that I am not a rock climber, and I did not climb El Cap. I basically kind of like – I say I went up it. All right. So what, what, what happens with a, a climb like that is you have a lead climber who actually climbs the route, yep. and then they set a fixed rope on an anchor, mm-hmm. and then you climb these ropes and you drag up all of your gear, which is these like these multiple ninety pound bags of like gear and food and water. Yep. And then you have another climber who cleans the route and they take all the equipment out of the out of the route, and then you just keep repeating that. Yeah. And so Heath and I were the two middle guys. We're basically kind of like the grunts. So once they would set that fixed rope we would use these pieces of equipment where we would basically kind of like climb up the rope and then pull the bags up. So by no means was it easy. Like it was scary and totally foreign and like ball breaking work and you're dying of thirst. Um, But it was more from like an observational thing where I kind of described in the beginning as like, I wanted to see what it was like if I got to go to the moon. (laughs) Or it's like, just because if they put you in the rocket and they send you to the moon doesn't mean you're an astronaut. But you got to go to the fucking moon and see what it looks like. And you're just like, damn, dude, it is crazy. Yeah. So that, yeah. that was kind of more of my experience. Yeah. And when we finished that one, in like all honesty, it was like, cool, we did that. But let's not do something like that again. Not because it was like too scary. It was like, we don't like being led by other people. We would rather trip and fall on our face yeah. than have someone there to make sure that we don't. Yeah. Now, we could never do the El Cap thing without Timmy O'Neill, who's the guy that took us up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were like, okay, cool. The next one, let's do something else. And that's actually what happened the next morning after climbing El Cap is Timmy was like, listen, I kind of see where you guys are at mentally. Next time you do a trip, you need to raft the Grand Canyon. And so that's what we did on our next trip after that one. And that one was like the, the best sweet spot of a trip I've ever done where there was a, enough kind of like not knowing how to doing it and falling on our faces and then a lot of really good times. So we just we basically had this rafting company drop us off at the beginning of the, the, the canyon with rafts and all the food and maps. Yeah. And then we just, we just winged it. Yeah. It's like you really, is it almost as you enjoy these challenges, kind of the challenge of like doing these things pretty much? Yeah. I mean, I like, I like being just scared enough to where I'm not going to like actually think I might die. Yeah. And then I want to, you know, be able to sit at a campfire later that night and drink a beer and laugh about it. Yeah, it's. I really respect it, man. You, you, you fucking get after it because I think a lot of times, even myself, it's easy to f- kind of fall in place with like your daily routine of like the things you do on a day to day, week to week basis. Oh. Like, and even for yourself, once you get busy as a working photographer, is it kind of hard to like kind of get out of your routine and do these things, or is it something you always just try to challenge yourself to do every year, kind of get out there and explore, pretty much. No, I mean, it, it gets harder, but you know, it's, it's a lot of people, you can make excuses not to do big things. Mm-hmm. So like when I went on the bicycle trip, let's say I was like, I was like, you know, 33 or something like that. Everybody asked my wife, Oh, you're going to 
first of all, a lot of people would say, you're going to let him go on that. Yeah. And I, I would just be like, dude, I can't believe how fucked people are as far as their <laughs> mentality of what, what a marriage should be like. She's like, of course I'm going to quote unquote, let him go. He's like, he's my husband and this is going to make him happy. And yeah. my goal in life is for him to be happy and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and so it would be easy to say no to a trip like that because you're just like, well, it's going to take me two months. I'm not going to make any income for two months. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe sometimes two people are afraid to step away from their clients for two months. Yeah. I think, I think it's actually, uh, works better in the other way mm-hmm. at a certain point. So the, so the last trip Heath and I did is we tried to, we built a boat and we tried to sail it from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas <laughs> and we failed miserably and almost died in the ocean. Jesus Christ. And, I came back from that one and this guy that I used to use as a digital tech and he happened to be um, like working kind of like still in the Ralph Lauren kind of family, which is what I was, you know, kind of bobbing around in before I went on that trip. He was just like, he's like, these trips actually keep more eyeballs on you as a photographer than if you were like out there shooting, you know, yeah. some sort of amazing commercial job. And I had never looked at it that way, Yeah. but I was like, cool. That's a nice little like, uh, little unexpected plus to these trips is like, I'm thoroughly going on them for my own benefit. Like I want to go on them and I just like obsessively think about them, but it's a personal project. And that's also, I guess just a testament that if you make personal work, that's from your heart, then people are going to pay attention to it. And then if it just happens to involve in something where you're like risking your life, then people really pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it kind of can probably inspire people to like kind of get out there and fucking experience life, you know? Because like I said, you can just get into your routine. So that's kind of it. I remember looking at that blog, whatever it was, like, what what is it, like six, seven years ago when you guys did that first trip or something? Or it might have been longer. After yeah, it was in 2010. Yeah, I remember looking at that, and I was just, like, working whatever shitty job I had, and I just remember being like, damn, man, I want to do something like that someday. So that's what was kind of exciting to me to kind of – it just seemed – I really enjoy, like, photos like that and stories where it's just, like, from a – kind of like a true kind of honest place, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think those trips are um, definitely less about the photography and more about the story. For sure. And and that's that's fun for me. I actually realized that I have – um, in, in interest in, in writing and, um, that I enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, um, shit, what was I going to say? I think I kind of lost my train of thought there. It's all right. I was the same. I, I, oh, that's, oh, that's, that's what it was. It was that when you were saying it inspired you, I was surprised that when people would write to me about the blog, they'd be like, they would basically say what you just said. They're like, I want to get out there and do something like that. And some people would say, I literally want to ride a bicycle across the country. Yep. But what I would write in there is I was like, getting out there and like doing it, like saying fuck it and like, you know, grabbing life and like taking, taking from, you know, what you want from it, you know, exciting wise mm-hmm. is, is your own scale. It literally could just be like, yeah. like my mom like goes on like a two or three mile hike in like where we live. And recently she's been doing that more and she's like so jazzed about like getting out there and doing it. And sometimes people, their thing might be like, I'm going to travel internationally for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Paris. Yep. So going to Paris for the first time and another person riding a bicycle across country, I think kind of serves the same part of your brain that just is curious and interested and wants new experience. So mm-hmm. you're re- really doing it could be something that would be tame to me. And then my really doing it could be something that is like, you could do in your sleep the people that are truly adventurous. Yeah, for sure, man. It's uh, interesting stuff. Um, 
couple more questions i'll let you go um i was looking at your instagram yeah you, uh, you recently shot the cover of men's uh, i think it was men's health um i was curious like how your experience was working on that project is like editorial photography something you enjoy doing I do because there's a little more freedom in it. I know that's kind of like the answer you hear from lots of people, but you know, when you shoot for a clothing company or, I mean, I did, I've done a lot of work with with shoe companies, for instance. Now I'm sure you can imagine that when you shoot for a shoe company, you need to get the shoes in the shop. And sometimes shooting full length is not like what you want to shoot. You're like, Oh, I really want to kind of get in there and shoot this portrait. And if there's no shoes in the shot, you're not selling the shoes. So when it comes to editorial, I like the fact that it's more about, well, especially with, the, with stories like that where it's more about the person you're photographing, the, the celebrity. Mm. And I was like, cool. It doesn't matter if we show the shoes or the look or whatever. It's just about taking pictures that tell the story about this particular actor. Yeah. So I dig that. Um, the, uh, the editor of, of Men's Health, I also work with her at Esquire. Yeah. Um, Sally, and she's just a rad, collaborative, like creative person. She sees the bigger picture. Um, she also just has kind of like a rad history and like hip hop and things like that. So she's a fun person to work for. She kind of lets you do your thing. And, um, and, and Joe is an amazing subject too. He actually happens to be like a huge Smith and Morrissey fan and Morrissey fan mm. by just coincidence. Yeah. But it was cool. We, we shot on a baseball field at Pepperdine in Malibu. Yeah. And then we set up uh, basically like a um, our own like white set, like a white psych, like in the parking lot. So created like a little miniature studio and, and did it all within one little space. And um, and then he was like at lunch, he was off to jump on a plane and we were done. So it, it was a blast. I love that shoot. Damn, that's cool. Was that your first cover for them? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually my first cover of anything. Oh, wow. Did, um, did you feel like an extra sense of pressure or not at all or what was kind of your feelings going into a big shoot like that, I guess? Um, not really. I mean, honestly, like I didn't, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not trying to sound, uh, tough. Cause, I, cause you're I, a, fu- I cause you're a fucking pro Jeff. <laughs> you're a pro man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I knew that the subject matter was like, was relatable to me. So I was like, cool. If they asked me to shoot something that I really didn't feel like I had, a pulse on mm-hmm. and if the cover shot was really complex yeah. then maybe i would have had a little more pressure yeah but the, the the you know i my first love in photography was richard avedon's work yeah. you know all his portraits against white yep so to me being like cool we're gonna have a blank background where it's just about me and the subject i was like i'm down it sounds like fun mm-hmm. so the cover itself is actually like a really fun picture for me to take mm-hmm. and then the rest of the photos were like baseball and a lot of these references were kind of like you know, a little bit of like the gritty history of baseball. So I guess maybe because the subject matter really interested me, yeah. but I felt like I could do a really good job at shooting it. And so I wasn't, wasn't as nervous. Yeah, no, man, it came out great. I enjoyed it. Um, I guess just to kind of like wrap up, like you've been working in photography now, kind of worked on all different types of stuff from like editorial, like we're saying commercial, um, I guess what kind of keeps you inspired to keep, uh, working as a photographer as you know there's a lot of ups and downs so what kind of keeps you going what's got you inspired these days about photography i guess um i find a lot i get a lot of inspiration from film Mm -hmm. um and so i spend quite a bit of time on vimeo just watching um i think that's similar to the most truly creative work is being showcased i mean it's not it's not has anything to do with vimeo it just happens to be the place where you can find a lot of it. Mm. 
and you're seeing this kind of like swirling group of colors and people all making really, really beautiful work. And, and it's actually, I kind of like found myself digging more into that because of listening to podcasts um, about cinematographers and directors. And I've listened to your podcast a lot and just kind of becoming more interested in, 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 re- in going out there and finding other people's work. Yeah. But as far as what inspires me, I'm lucky enough to where on a monthly basis, I get like a thought in my head and then I just start obsessing about it. <laughs> And I think about like, I want to do a story about that. And so what I do is I kind of like let it brew for a while and see if it's something that sticks. Yep. And then I slowly um, build up the courage to attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. I, I, I respect it. Well, uh, Jeff, man, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. It's a real pleasure getting to talk to you. I know we met like a couple times briefly, but really cool talking to you. And I guess for people listening, where's like the best place to check out your work? Um, the best way to check out my work is my, uh, website and then my agent's website. And then obviously you could go to my Instagram as well. So I'm repped by, um, apostrophe. So their web address is apostrophe, um, reps.com. Yep. And then my website is just my first and last name, uh, Jeff and then V-A-L-L-E. There's no Y in there. Perfect. And then my Instagram is the same. Cool. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I, I keep those, all those pretty fresh. Yeah. And uh, I'm stoked that we ran into each other, man. I'm, I'm stoked that I was out by a campfire and it was pitch black <laughs> and I realized you were standing next to me. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, man, we we had some s'mores, dude. <laughs> it was a good yes, time. Yes, we did. Um, but, yeah, man, can't thank you enough. And, uh, yeah, I guess we can just cut it there and I'll link it. And uh, Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks so much, Ak. I'll talk to you soon. So there you have it. That was the Jeff Valley interview. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, just want to say thanks so much to Jeff for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure talking to him about all his work and everything he's done over the course of his photography career. And also this is cool travels he's done, like riding his bike across the U.S. So this really interesting stuff. Um, so definitely go check out Jeff's work. Uh, his website is jeffvalley.com as well as his Instagram, at jeffvalley. Lots of cool work up there he's always posting, so definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, as well as my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.